Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you, as usual. Uh, um, it's always a privilege to come here and to, and to share God's, God's Word. Um, I was hoping that my family would join me this morning. Um, unfortunately, well, not really a sad thing necessarily, but Christine just got back from Jamaica. So she's suffering from a bitter jet lag. Um, so she's still fast asleep. And of course, um, we also have two um, younger teenagers in our household uh, who are still fast asleep. And <laughs> I was trying to drag them out of bed this morning. I was like, come on, come with me. Um, so it's good to be here this morning. Um, really good to see you. Um, I was thinking recently... Um, about my university days and, and, and my first job after university. And it was a very interesting time in my life. I did a, I did a major in mathematics, um, and a minor in computer science, and I wanted to become an actuary. And, but but you know, shortly after I graduated, there were no trainee actuary jobs available. So I got a job with an IT company, and I be- became a software engineer. Um, started off really, really well. Uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, um, I'm going through school. All my, all my friends went on, on, um, on, on flights, you know, to, to Miami and to New York and to buy the latest gizmos and stuff. Um, and straight throughout my childhood, I didn't go on an airplane at all. Um, and it was this first job that afforded me uh, to, to go on business trips and and overseas training, and so on and so forth. It was amazing. I was so, so chuffed with myself. Um, and, and all was going great. It was really, really amazing time. And after the first couple of years, there was a lot of opposition between the software engineers and the systems engineers. I was a software engineer, and, and, and my team you know, tended to be more academic and more software coding and writing code, and it was a little bit intricate. So um, it was really cool, and, and it was lots of good fun. The, the systems engineer guys, um, they did a lot of the, or they felt as if they did a lot of the grunt work and kneeling on the floor and, and fixing machines and hardware and so on. And it was a little bit of a tension going on. And... And they kept on saying, you know, the system engineer guys, you know, you software guys, you're going on business trips and getting training overseas in, in the U.S. and in the wider Caribbean, and you're hiring the, the brightest people from the university. Um, and the tensions have got worse and worse and worse. And one day, I still remember it to this day, this is almost 30 years ago now, um, I had a regular, there was a regular kind of business meeting between both of the engineering teams in a very, very large room. And it was just innocuous stuff, right? Just business updates and financial stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, and I asked a question um, from the floor. I can't remember exactly what the question was. But the manager for that, for the systems engineering team, he said, you know the problem with you, Norbert? You're so intelligent, but you have absolutely no common sense. <laughs> In front of hundreds of people, I just wanted the floor to open up <laughs> and swallow me in. It was 
it was embarrassing. I felt as if everyone was against me. Um, there was so much tension going on. And the problem was, right, I didn't tell anyone that what my grades were, but somebody else did. I don't, don't know how they, they got the information. And they realized that I got a first-class honors. And that even made it worse. <laughs> right? More and more tensions. And the challenge was that no one really knew my backstory. That I graduated bottom of my class in sixth form. You know, um, worst grades ever um, in my A-levels. I wanted to just give up on life after that. I took a gap year when there was when that gap year wasn't really a thing in, in the Caribbean. It still isn't a thing. You know, I wanted to just bum around and so on and so forth. And thankfully, I became a Christian in upper sixth form. And that saved me. Right? But no one knew my backstory. They all, they all, they all, all saw this Norbert and these other software engineers as being bright sparks and, and whatever. And there was a lot and lots and lots of opposition. And I don't know about you, how many of you have encountered opposition in your own life or criticism when trying to do what you believe is right? How did you respond? Can you think back to those days? Maybe it was just this morning (laughs) or yesterday or a few months ago. One of the things is, what I realized is that, is that there's opposition everywhere, isn't there? It's just par for the course of life. In government, right, people are in power, and you have the opposition. <laughs> By definition, in sports, there are two opposing teams, usually, most of the times. But when it comes to doing the things that God has called us to, there is a difference, I feel. For with God... The opposition is never too much for us, and God will never, ever be beaten. And one of the things that I think we need to realize is that we will receive opposition in life. There will always be criticism. But this cannot stop God from working and achieving His plans in our own lives. The tension that we need to live with is not to give in to the opposition, but to stay the course and realize that God will bring something amazing out of any challenges that we face. Whether it's our children facing problems or or, or illnesses or whatever life brings at us, it is just really an opposition. Because the enemy knows that if if he gets us down, it doesn't necessarily enable us to fulfill our potential sometimes in life. Gets us worried, gets us, gets us really scared of, of the future. That's why the enemy brings criticism and opposition. So, this morning, let's think about two things, as Keith um, read earlier. How Nehemiah started rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. That's the first thing. And then the second one is the opposition that they faced as they rebuilt, rebuilt the city walls. 
So the first one is rebuilding project starts and, and it's going really well and, and people are working together. Um, there are two and a half miles of wall. I mean, you know, it's, it's a huge task and they do need unity. There's mess of the rubble everywhere and, and it's a visual image of, of the mess that people's lives are in. And so the rebuilding was really, really important. It would rebuild the people socially, economically, and spiritually. And so chapter 3, verse 1, sets the tone for the rest of that chapter. And we read that, that Elahib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. And I think it's really important that Nehemiah starts with Elahib, the, the, the high priest. Not the traders or the politicians or the skilled workers. It was the high priest who started the work. Right? Um, it, it just shows us that everyone needs to really get involved. You're not too high and mighty to, 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 to start anything and, and to, to just... I remember um, a part of my life I was, I was a young leader... Um, and I used to just delegate everything to everybody else. <laughs> and some people got annoyed with me. I'm like, what's up with that? <laughs> but I had to get into the grunt work. I had to show leadership. I had to show servant leadership and support everyone and make everyone um, feel comfortable and encourage them and so on. One of the things, um, um, even yesterday I was remembering this, um, in my own in my own home, we have a seating plan. I think anyway. <laughs> I think anyway. My seating plan. Um, and, and I remember, you know, growing up as, as a kid, we couldn't sit in our parents' chairs or seats in the living room anywhere at all. They had their their own special seats, right? Um, and my uncles or elders or whatever, you know, we had to just avoid, we just knew where their seat was. I just had to avoid it. And, um, and these leaders in our communities back then, I mean, they were great and mighty and they were highly respected. And there was also a, a particular way to address them. You couldn't call them by their first name. Right? Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, Pastor So-and-so, Reverend So-and-so. It, it was kind of formal. Um, and in a sense, it kind of still happens today. But nowadays, um, when I think about that, and I try to pass on that kind of thing to my own family, I'm the, I'm the father, right? I, I'm the head of the household, right? Uh, <laughs> that's my seat. You know, I had a nice little seat on the sofa, strategic, you know, perfect viewing of, 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 of the telly, um, a nice side table with, with a lamp and, and sockets there so, so I can charge my little gadgets and I can re read my book and so on. And every single time I go into the living room, someone else is, is sitting there. My kids or Christine. <laughs> it's really annoying. I'm like, that's my seat. Why? <laughs> How? <laughs> so lots of times, you know, I, I'm sitting on the floor <laughs> in the midst of everyone. And what is you know, kind of enjoying themselves, and in a sense, I just kind of like, I just kind of give up now, <laughs> right? It's kind of crazy. 
I can't really think that because everything in the house is mine. Not really. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm the father and, and I'm the head of the household and da da da. So I should be, um, have a particular seat. I just have to get down in, in, in the dirt and, 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 and mingle with everyone on the floor <laughs> and let them take the high seats and so on. Just roll my sleeves up, sit on the floor like any ordinary person. That's this, that's the thing with servant leadership, isn't it? You just have to just get into it and just chill out and, and just let everyone else support everyone, respect everyone else. You know, on one hand, there's selfish leadership which seeks to control people. And on the other hand, there's servant leadership that seeks to serve people. One seeks to promote self. The other seeks to promote others. One seeks prestige and position. The other lifts up the lowly, the despised, and the depressed. Of course, of course, one of the best examples of this is in John chapter 13, where Jesus got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. Jesus knew, in John chapter 13 from 3 onwards, just a few verses there. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped round him. And later on in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he asked them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen? Jesus led by example. And so as, lead, as leaders, I feel that we too must be willing to get on our knees and serve others. Set the tone, get involved. Lead the way in, in things like serving and, and, and gathering for prayer. Be united. Even things like tithing and so on. God, God, is, God is calling us to be a community of servants, servant leaders. The entire church. Not just trying to get glory and honor, but accepting whatever position he puts us in. God notices every single thing that we do. He knows our heart. He knows our minds. And even two and a half thousand years later, after they rebuilt um, Jerusalem's walls, we are still reading what the people of God did that in, 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 um, back two and a half thousand years ago. All their names are listed um, in, in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. They were all volunteers. None of them appear to have been professional builders by trade at all. They were business people. 
there were entrepreneurs, there were rulers, there were nobles. Yet they were willing to offer themselves for the task of rebuilding. One of the rulers, um, their, their, their granddaughter was also involved. So it was all ages, from the young right, um, right up to the, to the older folk. One of the other things as well, well was, um, um, you know, there, there, was, there was a dung gate. <laughs> that was one of the gates that had to be repaired. And someone had to repair it. You know, they had to carry through all the fill through that gate. And it was okay. And the guy, guy who did it was, was a senior leader. And he just kind of got stuck in and repaired the gate. He didn't complain that it was beneath him. He just simply got on with it. Together, they were part of something very, very significant. They were rebuilding Jerusalem and bringing honor to God's name. Back to chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> One of the other things is you know, getting the rebuilding done. But there was a really important thing where it was really significant with whom Nehemiah starts with in his report of, of rebuilding the project. Right? Not only whom, but what he starts with is hugely important, I find anyway. He starts with repairing the sheep gate. That was the first gate that was really important to repair. And this sheep gate was, was right in the northernmost tip of the city. This was the highest point in Jerusalem. And this gate was where sacrifices were brought into the city, which were used to bring people forgiveness and back into relationship with God. So this was a very important gate. It was so important that it had to be repaired first. And we read later on in, in, in that chapter 3, they, they hung the doors and dedicated or consecrated it, which means that it was really special. It was set apart for a unique purpose. And it belongs to God. So every time they went through the sheep gate, you would see the blood or the smell of the oil. It, it was dedicated. They, they hung the doors and dedicated it and consecrated it. It was really special. And the practice of anointing things with oil continues today, isn't it? You know, you know, when, we, when we're probably, um, when we want to heal the sick or pray for the sick, we anoint them with oil. Um, when we want to, <clears throat> when we're also praying for, for protection of, up for people or, or, or going to someone's home where, where they get their first house or moving into, an, into a new building. You know, we go and pray for the building or pray for them and, and anoint the place with oil and anoint them with oil as well. Um, and so the sheep gate, I feel, is a symbol of the cross. The only gate that was consecrated and dedicated. None of the other gates were consecrated or dedicated at all. Not the not, not the dung gate, certainly not. <laughs> None of the other gates, right? But it was a sheep gate. And that set the tone for everything. And you see that this is, this is where the power of the cross comes in. The gospel of Jesus. For once we are made clean, 
We are completely clean. The cross of Jesus covers us and every single part of us and it affects all, every single life, every part of our lives. So not only were the other gates not dedicated, but they were built differently. The fish gate, the gate of Yesana, and the valley gate, and the dung gate, and the fountain gate, when, we, when it all comes to these gates, we read that the builder set its doors, and its bolts, and its bars. So when we read about the sheep gate, there are no bolts or any bars. The sheep gate had no locks whatsoever. And that signifies salvation, isn't it? The gate that offers salvation also has no locks or any barriers. And this is the same thing with Jesus. There are no barriers to our salvation. The gate of salvation is always open. We have an open gate, an open channel to Christ. As soon as we start praying, Jesus hears us. We don't have to go through lots of complicated doors and, 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 and say a hundred Hail Marys and all that kind of stuff before, before Jesus hears our prayers. So I think that is really, really important. That, and it signifies we have an open gate, open door to Christ. But the second part of this, of course, is the opposition that I started talking to you about earlier. Um, it comes in chapter 4. There was lots of discouragement. There was a lot of tension. Um, same thing with Jesus' um, birth, right? He, he wasn't welcomed at all. Herod tried to kill him. Everyone wanted to kill him. Um, and today, as we think about Pentecost Sunday, the day when the Holy Spirit, Spirit came in, in in a mighty and powerful way, the account of this amazing day is seen in Acts chapter 2, where everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them that ability. And most of the crowd from Asia and Egypt and Judea and Rome, they were completely amazed that these, that these believers were speaking in the crowd's own native language. Yet, they faced opposition from some in the crowd who ridiculed them and, and, and they, they said... They were drunk, that's all. They're just drunkards, speaking all, in all, all sorts of different tongues. So everywhere the Christians went, there was always opposition. And the opposition to Jesus and his church continues today. I, I shared earlier about... Um, the opposition in my first job after uni. I think it's so important to remain steadfast in the face of adversity. Just as Nehemiah stood his ground and, and remained committed to his God-given task of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, we are also called to stand firm in our faith, no matter what the opposition is or difficulties that we face in our own day-to-day, -day, everyday lives. One of the other things that we can pull out from this is that, you know, there is a link between the starting of the building, of, of the rebuilding project with the sheep gate and the opposition. Who is it that Sanballat and his cronies were opposing? It wasn't the people. 
It was God. And when we think about that, when we think that whatever opposition that we face, and we think about the long term, it is the enemy who is opposing God. That is it. That is it fundamentally. And so we don't need to take it personal when we, when, when we face challenges and opposition because it, it's really about the enemy just, just want to get us discouraged and separate from God, right? So when we think about that, whenever, whenever we think about that, whenever we work for God and we face opposition, just remember that the opposition is against God and what He is doing. And when we know that the opposition is against God, we can be comforted that it is God who will overcome the opposition on our behalf. We don't need to fight it in our own strength. Whatever our families are going through, whatever challenges we face, whether it's our noisy neighbors or, 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 or you know, problems at work, we don't have to fight it in our own strength. The battle belongs to God. And so in the, mock, in, in the face of mockery and threat, the people of Jerusalem did not scatter away, but they, get, get, they, they went together and, and kept united. In the same way, we are stronger when we stand together, supporting and encouraging one another in our own church, our friendship groups, our neighbors, our own families, on our journey of faith. So as we kind of wrap up shortly, you know, for us, following Jesus and doing what he calls you to do is really the best life imaginable. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fear opposition. Jesus says to us, in this world you will have trouble. You will have opposition. But I have overcome the world. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to accomplish his plans in our own lives. The Bible tells us that there are unseen battles going on in the heavenly realms. And these battles are there to stop us falling in love with Jesus and to disrupt the plans of God. So when we work for God, it's not a question of if you face opposition, but rather when. And what we do, do then, how do we respond when this happens, we shouldn't give up. We shouldn't moan. We, we shouldn't think, woe is me and all is lost. Expect it. And when it happens, we should pray and step up and work even harder with God. Do you, do you, you remember a time when, when you were faced with a, with a daunting task or, or, or a huge challenge? How did you respond? Perhaps it was a personal crisis, a family situation, or a difficult work situation, or, or a pressing issue in, 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 in Bilariki. Did you face it alone, or did you reach out to others? Did you pray about it? A lot of times, you know, when, when the going is good, it is, it is so good to praise God, right? <laughs> and to pray, and to do everything, right? And feel so motivated. And when I know people, I mean, if the pin drops, <laughs> you know, they start worrying. 
and they stop praying and they just try to do thing, things in, in their own strength. And they forget about God when, when trouble comes. We shouldn't be like that, especially as Christians. We deal with opposition by praying and by staying focused. Being people of integrity. When we read in chapter 4 in Nehemiah, they prayed and they built the wall. They prayed and they guarded the city. They prayed and they did something else. They prayed and they took action. Every time they prayed, they took action and they trusted God. They prayed and they kept on going. Amen? Amen. So let's be a church today that stays focused. We see that they stayed and they focused and built the wall in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. Sometimes we just need to ignore the haters. Ignore those people who aren't necessarily looking out for our best interests. And keep going and keep doing what God calls you to do. Wherever we face opposition, collectively at God's church, let's stick together. Be ever more faithful and committed in prayer. And just roll up our sleeves and just help where we can. But in all things, stick together, stay focused on God. God is bigger than our opposition. He's bigger than our brokenness. Bigger than our frustrations, our past, our pain. Whatever we went through at all in life, God is bigger than it. So just remember, if Christ is for us, especially on this Pentecost Sunday, as we remember the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that just enveloped those people and started speaking in, in, in foreign tongues, just remember that if Christ is for us, who can be? against us. Amen.